Church, what's up? Y'all right? I don't know what was in that video. Y'all look kind of shocked, so uh, I guess there was a mess. Uh, so glad that you guys are here with us. Like Pastor Chris said, my name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here at One Church. We're kicking off a brand new series, 99% Pure. Over the next four weeks, we're going to go through uh, what I think is one of the most vivid snapshots of the church actually found in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, the book of Malachi. So we're really excited that we're going to go through that uh, kind of verse by verse, uh, one chapter each week, and we're really, really excited about going through that. Again, we'll be in Malachi chapter 1, so you can turn to you version app, or it'll be on the screen uh, here in a minute, and we'll get there. By show of hands, how many of you like milkshakes? Milkshake drinkers, most of us, you guys are my people. I love milkshakes, especially uh, vanilla milkshakes, plain old vanilla milkshake. You can't go wrong with it. I'm absolutely a huge fan of it. You might have your own flavor, but it's okay for you to be wrong. I think vanilla milkshakes are the way to go. Let me ask you a question. How much dirt could I put in your milkshake before you would no longer want to drink it? A little speck, a whole scoop. How much, you know, half, half and half, some of you like cookies and creams, so you're like, I can't tell the difference anyway between the Oreo shake and, and a bunch of dirt. You know, how much, for most of us, when it comes to our food and the things we ingest, any slight little bit of, of known toxin or poison or something that can contaminate it, and we don't want anything to do with it, Right. If we knew that a dog had licked the inside of that cup before we put the ice cream in, and if we knew that, some of us would want nothing to do with it. Just 1% of an impurity can completely wreck us and completely bother us. We're using a logo, a soap bar logo in for this series, and you notice there's a big splotch of, of gunk on it. And so that 1% of gunk on that soap, we for a lot of us, we're not going to touch that bar of soap at all. We don't care what that soap is. We don't want to stand for the small impurity contaminating everything else. And in our lives, if we're honest, a lot of us are content to let the 1% influence the main thing. We're content to let, maybe it's hypocrisy, maybe it's complacency, maybe it's self-serving attitudes, maybe it's empty religion, that 1% of the thing we're holding back from God, holding back in life, maybe it's a bad habit. But for some of us, we're content to let the 1% influence everything else and, in fact, get in the way of the main thing, which is a growing relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing for us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And so for the next four weeks, Pastor Chris and I, we're going to dig into this challenging book in the Old Testament, gut level assessment at who we are as God's people. And I think over these next four weeks, as we walk through this, we're really going to see what God really wants for us as a people. Now, if you're here and this is your first time connecting with a church or you haven't been connected to a church in a long time, you're not really into this Jesus stuff. Let me just tell you that the book of Malachi was originally not written for you. This is not a book full of condemnation for people who aren't even really following God or into Jesus or church. This was really written directly to God's people. So if you're new to the church thing, I hope that what you're going to see through this message is hope, that you're going to see that God loves you, that God's for you, and that there's always a chance for us to be who we could have been in Christ. We always get that second chance, and that's awesome to see. If you're here and you are a follower of Christ, I just would encourage you to hold on. Bring your, bring your big boy pants every week. 
because Malachi has no chill, right, when it comes to talking to God's people. It's going to be a little bit in our faces for a good reason, though, not to beat us up, not to condemn us, but to move us towards the fullness. I guess what I'm trying to say is that this is not a series where our hands are going to be out, where we're constantly begging you to do stuff for the church or do stuff for God. This isn't about what we can get from you. This is about what God has for you. This is about you living in the fullness of his power, the fullness of his spirit, experiencing the love of Jesus in everything that you do. So today we're going to kick the series off with a talk about going all in, and we're going to be in Malachi chapter one. We'll get there in a few minutes. I heard a story about a a lady who wanted to donate a piano to her church. So she called her pastor and she said, Pastor, I know that the church doesn't have a piano right now. And, and I know you have some, some needs. And my husband and I, we're buying a brand new grand piano. We've spared no expense, had it custom designed, and we're buying our new piano. And we want to give the church our old piano. Now, it has some woodware, and it's missing a couple keys, and it's, it's out of tune, and it hasn't been played forever. There may be some mold underneath it you might want to get looked at, but we would love to give this piano to the church since we know that you need one. Now, some pastors would jump at the opportunity. They'd shout for joy. Thank you, Lord. I'm so excited. Someone's donated us a piano. But this pastor, he wasn't a liar, so he just told the lady politely, thanks, but no thanks. We do not need your junk in the church course the lady hung up on him right away uh, and he thought well there's another family we lost and he kind of goes back to his business you know but it was just an honest assessment if the piano was too junky for you why would we want it we don't want your junk you know throw it away store it somewhere else and so a couple days go by and then all of a sudden the pastor hears kind of a ruckus out in the parking lot and he goes out there there's a big moving van and they're delivering a piano and it's a grand piano they're delivering to the church and of course his heart drops in his stomach he freaks out he runs back to his office and he calls the lady back on the phone and says listen there's been some kind of mistake some kind of mix-up they are delivering the wrong piano to us and, and the lady on the other end of the phone choking back tears said pastor I feel so terrible for what I said to you. How could we think about honoring God with our leftovers, with our junk? In fact, my husband and I don't even know how to play the piano. So we decided to give the best one to you. Have you ever been on the receiving end of someone's half-hearted efforts like that? Have you been there? Someone else's half-hearted efforts. It makes you wish almost that they wouldn't even have tried at all rather than to give their half-hearted efforts. We're supporting Mana Cafe this month, uh, throughout this month of March as kind of our our missional focus as a church. And I get to serve Mana Cafe on the board of directors. I've been around with Mana World for a while. And you would be amazed at the food that people, well-intended people, donate to Mana Cafe for us to then give to someone else. The food that they don't want, not extra. I mean, it's the can of expired evaporated milk. It's the old dented up can of sour whatever. It's that can of black beans that they know has been on their shelf for seven years, and they put it in a food box to give it away when really it's, it needs to go into the trash, right? Almost makes you wish like you wouldn't have tried it all rather than give this half-hearted. And I know we live in a culture that says it's the thought that counts, but if we're honest, some of us need to do a little more thinking, right? before we do some stuff. I'm, I'm a go big or go home kind of person. Like Master Yoda says, do or do not, there is no try, right? Go all in or go all out, but don't half cook my dinner. 
Don't half wash the clothes. Parents, we don't want our kids to half clean the room, right? Which is what they do anyway. Don't half mop the floor. Don't give me the keys, but no car. Don't give me the car on an empty tank of gas. Don't give me a milkshake in a dirty glass. In the same way that we want people's best, in the same way that we don't want the the soggy leftovers, I'm convinced as I read the scripture that God wants the best for all of our life. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing of all the things? Here's what he said. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no half-heartedness in that answer. It's truly an all-in proposition. Now, we're not talking about legalistically trying to work our way into God's favor. Well, if I do these tricks, God's going to love me more. That's not what we're saying. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. That's the good news is he loves me. So there's nothing I can do to earn his favor more. There's nothing I can do to make him love me less. And that's what we're talking about is because he's given us his best, we get to serve him with all of our heart. And that's our big idea today. God gave us his very best. So the least we can do is go all in. Least we can do is go all in. By all in, we're using that that card, that, that poker language of putting all our chips on the table, right? We don't keep one chip in the back pocket just in case. No, it's going all in, giving everything up to God. Some of us have a lot of knowledge about God. We know about his ways, about salvation. Some of you can recite to me the spiritual laws. We know the books of the Bible backwards and forwards. Some of us do. Some of us know the whole church thing. But listen, information alone doesn't really lead to life change. It doesn't really lead to heart transformation. It's this life that's surrendered to his spirit and surrendered to his power. It's his grace that ultimately changes us. And so religion, just doing the stuff, showing up at the right time, at the right place, doing the, just going through those actions can easily become just empty movement and have really no power at all to change your life or to change others' lives. It's simply going through the motions. And when we look at the book of Malachi, this is exactly what he was confronting as he wrote to the people of Israel. So the book of Malachi, for history's sake, it's the, the uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's the last book of the 39 books of the Old Testament. And Malachi's purpose in writing was basically to correct, to rebuke Israel for going through the motions in their worship and in their devotion to God. He challenges them to stop being a bunch of fakes, a bunch of hypocrites. We're going to talk about that some next week. So if you're not familiar where Malachi comes into the story, just real quick, for the sake of history and context, we need to know a couple of things. God had a people that he called, real people who walked on this earth, the nation of Israel. He called them to be his people, to be his, and he was going to be their God. And he set up a bunch of laws and rules and rituals for them to follow in order to uh, stay in line with his will and stay in line with his way and to separate them from the other nations. So they had this law given to them that they were to follow. It was a system that he set up. He gave them all the details. All they had to do was do the stuff. And like the proverbial three-year-old, as many chances as they got to do the wrong thing, they did it. God said, don't touch. They touched it. God said, don't go there. They said, where? And they went there. God said, stay away from those people. They said, what people? And they ran towards those people. The exact opposite time and time and time again, the people of Israel did. But God whose mercies new every morning, his grace never fails. He gave them time after time and chance after chance. And he would even send people, prophets, who would come and they would be the mouthpiece of God and say, listen, Israel, change your ways or this disaster may come upon you. <clears throat> and they never changed their ways. And so eventually, God allowed two nations, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, to invade their country 
kidnap and take everyone out of the land and put them into exile into another country. So if you're if you're f- familiar with the geography, they were all in the, the land that we now know of as Israel, and they were basically kidnapped, taken away into what is now the land of Iraq, Iran. That's where they went. So they went over to that part for years. Generations lived in exile, and then because God is full of mercy, he let them come back to the nation of Israel. He raised up leaders, people like Nehemiah. You can read this story in the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah. He raised up leaders and had those leaders go back to Israel and basically rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, rebuild their city, and reinstitute these practices of how they were supposed to worship and honor God. You with me? So Malachi comes to the scene about a hundred years after they'd returned from that exile. So these multiple generations now who all they know is the version of worship that they'd been taught. All they knew is what they were living in. And so about 435 BC, Malachi shows up to encourage and then to just outright challenge God's people to remember the hope they have in God, but to follow his ways. Malachi is very blunt in his approach, because the leaders, the priests, the the, the temple elders, uh, we would call them today kind of our church leaders, our church elders, they had misled the people by accepting uh, blemished sacrifices, half-hearted effort, things that compromised God's truth. They'd accepted it so much that it basically poisoned the whole system. And so what you had was a bunch of motion, but no devotion. You had a bunch of religious activity, but the power of God was nowhere there. And so the last thing God speaks to his people before 400 years of silence is the words we hear from Malachi. In fact, when you read the book of Malachi, after Malachi chapter 4 ends, there's 400 years where God really doesn't speak directly to the people through this medium again until John the Baptist comes to the scene uh, and, and starts saying, prepare the way for Jesus to come. So let's dig into the book of Malachi and see what, what God wants to say to us now, 21st century church, through this ancient text. Malachi 1, starting in verse 1, says this, This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. Now I love that the first thing God says here, 100 years after exile, to the people of Israel is, I have always loved you. I don't know what you're dealing with today, what you're struggling with today. Some of you, just the idea of where this series is going to go has you a little bit on edge. Just the idea of going all in may have you feeling a little bit heavy, may have you feeling a little bit of weight. Some of you may be checked out already because you already think that you're going all in. And no matter where we are in that, we should all find some encouragement, some hope in the fact that here's what God's saying to a people. I have always loved you. Now, these people are rebellious. These people are messy. As we talked about the last five weeks, these people are jacked up. But the first thing God says to them is, I have always loved you. And that's, again, I can't reiterate that enough to you. No matter where you are in this room, know that God loves you. Always has, always will. So Malachi jumps in and he starts really confronting fakes and freeloaders and and just frauds in God's house. And through his words, God challenges his people to stop just going through the motions, to really go all in and engage them. And so there's a couple principles, three principles that we can get from the first chapter of Malachi that I really think apply to us and how we approach God. And the first one is this, God doesn't want your leftovers. God doesn't want your leftovers. Some things are much better the day after, right? Any leftover eaters in the room? I love leftover lasagna. 
I think chili tastes better the day after I've made it. I like leftover chili. In fact, let me just be honest. I love food, so as long as there's no mold on it, I might give it a try. My wife has saved me from many about with food poisoning. We have to do some math. Now, when did you cook that? How long do I have? Is this still good? I don't like to see food wasted, and I love to eat, right? So to me, I'll, I'll eat leftovers. My mother-in-law loves it when I'm in town because when she cooks, she knows nothing's going to be wasted. She knows Carlo is going to eat mashed potatoes for breakfast before those things go bad, right? He's going to eat ham and macaroni and cheese three meals a day until it's gone because I just I love leftovers. What can I say? If you have some leftovers, hook me up. Listen, if I get sick, the worst thing that's going to happen is like a week off of work. Like, I'm good. I'll be at the house chilling, you know, like have my iPad with me in case I have to get out of bed and go somewhere else. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So either way, no matter how sick I get, I can take a week off of work and I'm going to be good. What's the worst that can, I guess I could die, but to live is Christ, to die is gain. So either way, I'm winning. Bring me your leftovers. Thank you very much. That was free. That had nothing to do with the message, but leftovers can be a great thing, right? Because leftovers come from a place of abundance most of the time, right? It means we had so much food that look at all this extra that we have uh, left over. But leftovers can also be bad in that they imply the best was already taken first. Nobody eats leftover cereal. You know what I mean? Like you pour this bowl cereal in the bowl and pour the milk and then you eat some of it and then stick that bowl of soggy cereal in the refrigerator and say, does anyone want to eat my leftover bowl of cereal? Some of y'all stomach is turning just thinking about that, right? Leftovers usually can mean, look, we already took the best and all that's left is what's left over. When we talk about leftovers in the context of Malachi, God is saying, you have spent your best on everything else and now you're giving me kind of the, the left of the soggy leftovers. You're giving me anything other than what I want, which is your all or which is your best. So let's look in Malachi. Let's jump to verse six and see what God's talking about here. Now it's important to note, as we read this, the book of Malachi is a conversation between God and the people. So God makes an accusation or a statement towards the people, and then they reply back to him. And you're going to pick that up as we read these couple verses. Verse 6, the Lord of heaven's army says to the priests, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? So there's God's accusation, right? God's statement to them. Let's keep reading. You've shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? So that's Israel responding back to God. How have we shown contempt for your name? Verse 7, you've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying that the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. And when you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord of heaven's armies. Aren't you glad you came to be encouraged and motivated today with these uplifting scriptures? This is hard stuff, heavy stuff. What's happening here in this conversation is God is reminding the people, I've always loved you. And they say, how have you loved this? And he tells them, listen, I set you up for success. I gave you Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I blessed these families and I instituted this system of worship for you. And I told you that your sacrifices need to be a certain way, needs to be a certain kind of animal. And instead, you're going out of your way to not give me what I've asked of you. So the way they worshipped under this system was essentially they had multiple types of offerings, 
they had uh, free will offerings and fellowship offerings and offerings for forgiveness of sin. And, and they had all these sacrifices that they would have to give God. And usually it was some type of animal involved in it. So if, if you can't picture that, picture this. You come to church today, and, and when you come to one church out in the lobby, we have a little animal pin, and that's where you drop off your little white spotless baby lamb or baby goat or maybe a couple of doves in a little cage that you bring. And every week after week after week, you have to bring those animals some grain for someone to sacrifice and make up a nice barbecue, and then the smell of that sacrifice would go to God, and that bloodshed would appease him. That's kind of the way their ancient system was before Jesus. I'm so glad we don't do church like that now, right? Are you? I know I am. That's a whole lot of work. Although the priest got to eat the barbecue afterwards, so I don't know. That that would have been good to enjoy that. But they had to do that over and over and over and over again. And this generation, they had been taught that it was okay to not give God the best. They'd been taught that, listen, three legs are better than no legs, so we'll take that, you know, three-legged animal. Even though the Bible says four, we'll take that three-legged. And we know it's supposed to be a dove, but ah, all you've got is a crow. We'll take the crow. And so they made these compromises over and over again until where it finally becomes just empty religion, going through the motions. And so God says, go ahead. Why would? You, why should I accept that? When it came to worship, the priests, the leaders of the time, they were basically giving God three-day-old meatloaf instead of the choice steak that he had called them to give. Instead of offering God the best and the purest, they gave God blemished leftovers as if nothing was wrong with that. And you can notice that, and they're questioning. They're like, what's the big deal? And God says to them, try offering that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? God says, you know you wouldn't treat anyone else on earth the way you're treating me. Why would you treat me that way? You wouldn't show up late for work. You wouldn't give a half-hearted effort at work. You wouldn't shortcut We have time to get up and go to the club and stay up all night, right? Some of y'all, I'm getting in your business now. We have time to do all this other stuff. We make time for what's important to us. And God's saying, I thought I was important. Where's my time? Where is what I've asked of you? God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants all of us. And we don't allow Christ to be the center of our life. We end up worshiping and serving out of leftovers instead of abundance. Don't get me wrong. There's times we're going to be tired. There's times we're going to be spent and the cares of life may consume us. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, when we seek him first in his kingdom, all the things we worry about and stress about, God provides for us. He takes care of all of those other things. It's easy to get complacent and lazy when we're following Jesus. But we really can't serve God with half-hearted commitment. If Jesus said, love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I really have to take that to heart. That means everything, with my everything. And here's the good news. Let me set some of you free, because some of you guys are clenched up. You're getting really tight and nervous in here. Second Peter tells us that God's power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. So God sets us up for success every single time. He says, I want you to go all in. And then he gives us his spirit. He gives us the church. He gives us his word. He gives us all the tools that we need to live for him. The least we can do in view of that is give our best for him. It's not about empty religion. It's not about trying to earn salvation. It's having an attitude that says, I get to serve him. I get to live for him because of everything he's done for us. God doesn't want our leftovers. And the second thing is this, God doesn't need our half-hearted efforts. He doesn't need our half-hearted efforts. He's God Almighty. He's strong. He's above all things. He can make anything happen. He's awesome. He's God. He doesn't need me to run a camera with a bad attitude. 
Like he doesn't need me to preach a sermon while I'm thinking about other things that I would rather do. He, he wants us to be fully engaged. Let's look at Malachi verse 10 of, cha- of chapter one. It says this, how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offering. How I wish you would shut the temple doors. Several months ago, I went into a pizza place at lunchtime to pick up some food. That's what you do at a pizza place, right? The lights were on. The employees were running around looking busy. The place smelled like pizza. It looked busy. It was 12 o'clock, and they didn't have one pizza ready. I almost lost it. I didn't almost. I did. I lost it on the inside, but I lost it. I lost my cool. Why would they be open at lunch if they didn't have one stinking pizza ready? That didn't make any sense to me. I'm not bitter now. I've gotten over it a little bit, I think. But I got some answer from the lady behind the counter. Oh, sorry for your wait. We'll have some. That's how they sound in my head, right? Sorry for your wait. We'll have some pizzas ready for you. All I heard was blah, 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 blah. You know, it's just like, come on, where is my food? In fact, I was like this guy in this video. Guy in the video, pizza video. Do we have it? Yes. Let's go! I've been waiting 35 minutes for my pizza. I need my pizza. Let's get it. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Let's go. I've been waiting 35 minutes. Let's go, buddy. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's get it. I need my domino. Let's get it. Come on. Let's get it. Come on, man. She got the dough. Let's get it. Excuse me. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. Help you? Come on. Come on. I'll be waiting 35 minutes. Let's get it. I need my pizza. Would y'all have laughed if I flipped this table and said, come on, I need my video. Let's get it. Let's get it. Where's it at? Been waiting 30 seconds. I'm just playing. They do an awesome job up there. Things lag. Things happen. Listen, that's really how I was on the inside. Upset. Furious. Uh, a pizza place should have, I don't know, pizza at lunchtime, right? They would have been better to shut the doors than to turn on that light and make me smell those smells and get my mouth all worked up for some pizza, and then they don't even have any pizza. They would have been better to shut the doors than to do it half-heartedly. Now stay with me. The church, the body of Christ, should be filled with people who are dripping Christ-likeness. People come to us in search of hope, in search of love, in search of something, and we, the people who carry that name Jesus, we should be a reflection of the Jesus that we say we serve, that we say we follow. And when people show up to biblical community like a church and they don't experience the power of God through our love, through who we are, we're like a pizza place at lunch that doesn't have any pizza. When people know you're the Christian and your life says the exact opposite of someone following Christ. We're not talking about being perfect, right? Watch last month's series, Address the Mess. We, all, we get it. We're messy. We all have stuff. I'm not talking about perfect. In fact, at One Church, we believe everyone's welcome and nobody is perfect. But anything is possible. Anything's possible when we follow him, when we go all in for him. And so the church should be that way. But what gets in our way is we cheapen the grace of God that saves us by taking a flippant attitude towards the things of God. We know that God saves us, and it, he, he gives us this great gift of salvation, and it's free, and I can't earn it. And then we kind of go on living as if we can just do whatever we want and be whoever we want because, hey, I'm forgiven, right? 
Hey, I've got grace, right? Hey, if I confess my sin, God's going to forgive me of my sin. Isn't that what 1 John 1, 9 says? We kind of get into this flippant attitude. But when we really look at the scripture, especially in Romans, the apostle Paul, he railed against that mindset. He even said, should I keep on sinning just because there's grace? Of course not. We basically cheapen grace and have cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great theologian, he said that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness, forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus. And I would add that cheap grace makes its home in half-hearted efforts. It says things like, well, I love Jesus enough to ask him to save me so that I don't go to hell, but I don't really love him enough to do much more than that. On the contrary, costly grace, it confronts us as this gracious call to follow Jesus. It's this word of forgiveness when we're broken, when we're hurting. It's costly Bonhoeffer says, because it compels us to take up the yoke of Jesus and follow him. And it's grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy. In verse 10, God is telling the people, look, if my house is not functioning in the right spirit and in the right way, why don't you just close the doors instead of carrying on this facade of serving me? He wasn't pleased with their half-hearted efforts. Now, Malachi being the last book of the Old Testament. Revelation is the last book of the New Testament. And so when you read in the book of Revelation, we see there's not much that changed in the way God's people were acting when it came to half-heartedness. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 says this, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So even fast-forwarding to the end of the New Testament, we still see the people of God going through empty motion, doing their own thing, thinking they have it all together, and God having to remind even them the same language. You think you're doing it, but you're on cruise control. Jesus, in the Gospels, he shares multiple parables that that say the same type of language. One day you're going to come up to me and say, God, I did all this stuff in my name, and I'm going to say, I never knew you. One day you're going to want to come to my feast, and I'm going to say, I invited you, and you told me you weren't ready, so I went and found a bunch of other people who were, and I gave them your space. This lukewarmness talked about here, it doesn't refer necessarily to being lazy in Christian behavior. It refers to a posture that acts as if you never even knew Christ to begin with. To love and to live for God with a half heart is to violate what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or as Leonard Sweet puts it, the Christian life is neither Christian nor any kind of life unless we are living it out of faith. Faith meaning going all in. God doesn't want our leftovers and he doesn't need our half-hearted efforts. What God wants is for us to go all in, to put all our chips on the table, to put it all out, to go all in for him. He doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't need our half-hearted efforts. He truly wants us to be committed to go all in. That means I don't have one or two chips hidden in my back pocket, right? Don't act like y'all don't know about playing poker or playing cards. Y'all sitting here acting all stuffy and brand new. You know what I'm saying, right? We don't cheat. We don't hold back. We don't keep that one thing. You familiar with that old, old meatloaf song, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that? Your that is the 1% that God's saying, I want you to go all in. 
Some of y'all have a that that you're holding on to, a habit, an attitude, a grudge, whatever it is, something you can't get over, and you're holding it back. And so you're 99% pure, and he's saying, I want you to go all in. Let's finish up Malachi chapter 1. Verse 11 says, But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you're saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Ask the Lord. Should I accept this from you? So what's happening in this passage is basically the people around Israel who weren't God's people were acting more like God's people than his children should. And he's calling them out on it. He's saying, listen, all these other people can honor me, but you're saying, oh, it's too hard to honor me. And God's telling them, you, you have to get with it. You have to go all in. I, we ask ourselves, what's stopping us from really giving our all to Christ? What's holding us back from loving him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul? I encourage you today, you can take a step towards Jesus and let his grace propel you towards something greater than half-hearted religion. I love what Kyle Eidemann says, that Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Followers who understand that there's no forgiveness without repentance. There's no salvation without surrender. There's no life without death. There's no believing without following. Not half-hearted, not I kind of want to follow, but going all in. Now let's go back to the beginning of Malachi 1 because we need to be reminded of this again. This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. Let that truth sink in for a little bit. I have always loved you loved you. God's love for us has never been the problem. Did you know that? God's posture towards us has never been the problem. Our our response to the love of God, that is our constant issue. God saw us blemished by sin, stuck in our mess, and he gave his all through Christ that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be saved. He saw us in our broken state, and because of his grace and his mercy, saved us for no other reason other than he is God, and he is full of grace, and he is full of love. And in view of that, we get to give ourselves away to him. So let's go all in. Pastor Chris talked a little bit about our bold initiatives here at One Church, how everything we do, we want to invite boldly, we want to pray bold prayers, we want to give boldly. Listen, our church can't walk in the vision God has for us if we're half-hearted. You can't be bold and half-hearted at the same time. Did you know that? To be half-hearted actually contradicts the very definition of what it means to be bold. We can't lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ if we're constantly giving God our soggy leftovers. So what do we do? For some of us, we need to take a first step. For some of us, that first step, you might be here and you might hate God. The first step you need to take is to just understand God is not against you. God loves you. God is not your enemy. And for some of you, just that little change in your perspective, I think, is going to lead you to a much healthier place, lead you towards Christ. Maybe today's not the day you say, look, I'm going to follow Jesus. But if, even if today your only step is to say, you know what? I think God is not bad. Like that could be a huge first step to take, that God is not against you. For some of you, you've maybe been here a couple weeks and you know that you've heard this truth that everyone is welcome and that anything is possible and that, man, God loves me in spite of my mess. And so you need to take that first step and follow Jesus. 
Say, okay, God, I'm in. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go all out following you. Maybe you think going all out is too much. Just take the one step. It's a beautiful promise we have. We draw near to God. He draws near to us. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus and you haven't gone public with your faith like we saw in the video there. Jordan, you need to be baptized in water. There's something powerful about symbolizing that complete immersion and that resurrection of I'm in this. I'm a part of this family now. God has saved me and changed me and and I'm going to go all in. Some of us need to take a first step. Some of us need to take a next step. So we've said yes to Jesus, but now we need to start investing in those around us. You've heard the sermon series. We've given you the information. You might have even been to a group. You've taken the classes, whatever. You've gotten the brochure. You know the Jesus stuff. You need to start investing in the people God's placed in your life. They're people that only you can influence who need Jesus. And you have to start reaching out to them with your life, with your actions. Invest in them. Invite them to come connect with you. Serve on a team. Go stop by our next steps table. Sign up. Serve on a team. Get involved. Get plugged in. We showed you some opportunities for small groups. Get involved in community. That's what we mean when we talk about this step, this next step that you can take. And some of us, we need to take a leader step. I'll just say it plainly. You've been in a small group for a long time. When are you going to start leading one? When are you going to grow? When are you going to get out of your comfort zone? You've been serving for a long time, but on the fringes, kind of just doing enough, just that little bit, as long as it doesn't make you uncomfortable, as long as it doesn't inconvenience you. And I'm telling you to go all in may cause you a little bit of inconvenience at first. It may cause you to shift your focus, to do some things in a new way, but it's time for you to step up, to be a part of the solution. This week, I challenge all of us to think about our step, whether it's a first step, a next step, or a leader step, to think about what God would call us to do, and then take that step and go all in. God gave us his very best The least we can do as a church is go all in. Next week, we're going to look at Malachi chapter 2. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for saving us in spite of us. Thank you that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. There's nothing we can do, God, to make you love us less. And help us just to find rest in that. When we want to run towards busyness and run towards a bunch of activity, help us to rest in you, to trust in you with all of our heart and to not lean on our own understanding. And God, if there's a person in this room who has not yet said yes to you, I pray this would be the day right now where they're, they're sitting, that they would say, Lord, help me, forgive me. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Help me to do that. And I know, God, you'll do what only you do. And that is you'll cleanse, you'll wash them, God, as they pray that prayer. You'll help them. And I pray you would help us as your church, as your people, to connect with them. For those of us who need to take a step and going all in, show us, reveal to us in our heart what's the one thing we're holding back. And then, God, give us the intestinal fortitude to make the choice we need to make to surrender that to you. We love you. And, God, we thank you so much for being for us. And we thank you that you've always loved us. In view of your love, because you've so loved us, God, let us love each other and let us live a life completely surrendered to you. Thank you for your grace in the strong name of Jesus.